0: Amen. How are we doing today? Good. How are we doing today? Great. All right, grab your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 5. As you're turning there, I was contemplating a response that I saw when the United States had first entered World War I. The president of Columbia University sent out a message uh, to his faculty. He put out a questionnaire to the faculty, and he was asking them what they proposed they would do to help in the war effort. And there was one member of the faculty, a pacifist, who uh, sent back this answer, mind my own business. What will you do to support the war effort as men and women of our country are being drafted and going to war and all these different things, what will you do? I will mind my own business. Now, I suppose that's how a pacifist might respond. But just follow that logic for a second. Suppose that we as a nation had minded our own business then. Suppose that President Kennedy had minded his own business during the Cuban Missile Crisis of the 1960s. Suppose if Martin Luther King Jr. had minded his own business during the era of segregation, suppose, where would the power structures lie if this was the logical response? What rights would people be enjoying today? How would the fabric of our society look? You know, would we, under nuclear threat, even be here to pose such questions? I'll mind my own business. This morning, as we look at um, Matthew chapter 5, and we return to this chapter, we're going to continue looking at some of the most famous yet least obeyed sayings of Jesus Christ. We've been looking at these uh, kingdom-cultured, revolutionary sayings of Christ that turned the world upside down, and honestly, they are just the introduction to his Sermon on the Mount, which is chapters 5 through 7 of the book of Matthew. Matthew. Jesus is speaking some of the most critical teachings here that would have turned his world upside down. And here he comes to a poignant saying that stands in stark contrast to the world that we live in. For against the backdrop of violence and strife, contention and conflict, hate and animosity, comes these words of Jesus. They're radical. That in the midst of all of this chaos, there's a way to contentment and blessedness. Here it is. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Father, I thank you for this word. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just encamp around each heart that you would go beyond my words and minister truth into every soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, we've been looking at these beatitudes, and like I told you last week, if I could toss one, I'd toss last week out. You know, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, as, as we go through these, I don't know if you've picked this up. You know, when we start off with blessed are the poor in spirit, this is pretty easy to do. I can recognize how broken and poor I am. And how much I need Jesus. And how much I need, you know, help. Because I don't got it all together. I can recognize as I look around the world and, 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 and be blessed in mourning. And find comfort because I can see the brokenness that there is in the world. I can see my own condition and now I've been alienated from God because of my sin and my issues. It's very easy for me to just cry. And just realize that I have something going on. And as we progress, things seem to get a little bit harder. I'm okay calling myself meek, but don't let nobody else call me meek because I won't like it. And as we move forward, you know, thirsting and hungering uh, for righteousness. As we move forward as, you know, um, doing all these different things that Jesus has called us to. Hungering, showing mercy. Mercy. It starts building and getting harder and harder. And now he shows up and he says, All right, blessed are the peacekeepers. I can imagine in that mountaintop, on that hillside where Jesus is preaching this, as, you know, there are men and women gathered all around, the crowds are there. There are within that crowd, you know, Jews, there are Gentiles, there are people who are, you know, uh, the Roman occupiers are there. There are zealots, those who are passionate to actually take back the kingdom of Israel from the Romans through violence and militarism. There's all the stuff. And here comes Jesus saying, hey, in the world that is filled with war, as they look back, uh, if you go back to the book of Malachi, which is the, the last chapter, the last book in the Old Testament, between Malachi and Matthew, there are 400 years where there seems to be no revelation from God. It's the silent era. And in this period of time, there's been wars and wars waged over this tiny little land called Israel. And there's all these tensions So I can imagine all these people hearing Jesus in this moment and they're saying, excuse me? (laughs) Look around Jesus, there's occupiers, there's been wars, there's animosity, there's those who elevate themselves above others and and lord over other people and there is no peace about their attitude and actions and yet you're calling them the sons of God? So let's, let's unpack this this morning because just as shocking as it was then, It's shocking to us today, and we'll get into that in just a bit. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. What what is a peacemaker? What what is he getting at? What is Jesus trying to get at? I want us to look at a couple of questions, and this is the first of them. First of all, let me just get this out of the way. What, What it's not, what Jesus is not speaking to this crowd, and then by extension to us, is that he's not saying, notice, He's not saying blessed are the easygoing. You know any easygoing folks? They're so blessed, aren't they? He's not saying blessed are the easygoing who will do anything to avoid trouble and conflict. He's not saying blessed are the appeasers who appear to be nice but have no principles. They just appease everybody and no one's happy. Blessed are the ones who gloss over problems, acting as if everything is all right. Is this what he's saying? Absolutely not. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. You know, maybe when we appease, when we gloss over, when we just say, I'm going to be easygoing and not upset the apple cart. Maybe we're, we're trying to be something entirely different than what Jesus is calling us to. Maybe we're trying to be peaceful or peacekeepers But that is not what he's asking. Maybe if we go down that road and that is our driving motivator, then we might subscribe to this idea of peace at all costs. And if you go into peace at all costs, if that's the ideal that we choose, then maybe we'll choose our concept of peace over what is true, over what is authentic, over what is healthy, over what is tough conversations, over calling out sin for what it is in a Jesus-like manner, by the way. If peace at all costs is what we want, then maybe we leave room for a whole lot of other things other than the truth. So what does Jesus say? Blessed are the peacemakers. Turn to your neighbor and say, peacemakers. Turn to the other neighbor that you ignored and say, not peacekeeper. What is this? Easily, you can see that this is a compound word. And honestly, in the Bible, when you read this this scripture, you'll you'll notice that if you are a geek like you know I tend to be and go into the language, you'll see that in the Greek, this is the only time in all of the New Testament that the word is used, and it's used right here by Jesus. It's a compound word; it's not found anywhere else. But but being a compound word, you got to break it down to its common words. We got peace and we got maker. What does it mean when he says peace? Um, I grew up going to a Brazilian church, because I'm Brazilian-American. And so when we grew up, uh, we would go to church, and at church, we would ever we would meet, greet somebody, whether we would say hello or goodbye, we would say, A paz do Senhor. And that means the peace of the Lord. We, w- we wouldn't say hello, we wouldn't say goodbye, we'd say, A paz do Senhor. And sometimes we would just condense that down and say paz, which means peace. And we would do that because it was our way of, of, of communicating that we would want all of God's peace and all of God's blessings and all of God's goodness to be upon that other person. It was a nice way of greeting them. Well, as I studied the word and I realized this is not something that was unique to my Brazilian culture. This is actually something that was rooted in the word of God, because if you go back to, you know, the Old Testament, you got the Aaronic blessing uh, where Aaron uh, blesses those that he's praying to in Numbers chapter six, verse 24 through 26. This is what it says. The Lord bless you and protect you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. And this sentiment later got, you know, instead of saying all that, they would just say, Shalom. So by the time Jesus is on the scene, they're saying to each other, Shalom. And sometimes they will say, Shalom, Shalom. Like, like you know, that which is perfect, even more perfect. How can you make perfect more perfect? I don't know, but they would say shalom, shalom. And, and it was their way of saying, look, I'm wishing upon you. When a Jew would say this to somebody else, just like when we would say it in church, it's I wish upon you the full presence, the full peace, the full prosperity, the full blessedness of God on you. Because that word peace is everything that is good. It's the absence of strife. Strife. It is not only, you know, no violence, but it's the absence of strife and the fullness of God. It is to be at peace, to be content in all things, to be whole. You're not divided. You're not missing out on anything. It's a perfect picture of God because he's the absence of parts. He is one. He is whole. And so here is the word peace, and then you get the word make. What does it mean to make? And and the word here that we get is an energetic Greek verb that that means to do and, hello, to make, to create, to form. This word, it, it, it dictates and mandates action. So look, Jesus is not saying, blessed are the peace dreamers. Blessed are the peace wishers. Blessed are are the peace lovers. Like, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, blessed are the peacemakers, those who say, you know what? I am going to go and drag this guy and drag that guy, and I'm going to put you all together, and I'm going to make it so that you guys will choose to lay down your weapons. I'm not just going to wish this thing. No wonder the psalmist and Peter both said, they said this, seek peace and pursue it. Psalms 34. Psalms 34. 1 Peter 3, for seek implies that the object of your query, what you are seeking, may be out of your sight. So you got to look for it. You're going to actually have to put some effort into seeing it happen. And, and when you say pursue, that means that the uh, object that you're searching for, that you're seeking, uh, is not within your reach. So you got to get up. You know, every once in a while... I used to remember when I was, you know, not blessed in the sense of having, you know, a perfect remote go grabber called my son. I would have to try to reach for the remote if I'm, you know, laying on the couch and, and, and I just didn't want to get up because I'm nice and comfortable. And it's finally a moment of rest on my, on my day off and I can actually, you know, kind of just chill out. When he's in school, I can't do that. But you know, it's great. Isn't it great to have kids? I, I heard that before and back in the day when there was no remotes, that's what kids were for. They would, they would go and change the channel on tube, right? I hope that they were for more than that, right? But um, if it's out of your reach, you're going to have to pursue it, chase it, go find it, go get it, bring it into your sphere and close to you so that you can attain it. And isn't that... An interesting thing, when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, those who will bring the wholeness of God, the fullness of God, the beauty of God to others, isn't it interesting that the words seek and pursue are there because I've found, I don't know, maybe I'm like doing this wrong. I found that uh, peace is not automatic and sometimes it takes a long time None of you here have ever fought with somebody for a long time or been at odds with somebody for a long time, right? Like, I'm the only one, and I need you all to pray for me. I found that this be the case. It's not often easy, and it's not often quick, but yet Jesus calls us. To peace. And so when we put it all together, we look at these two compound words. What is he saying? Peace and maker. Jesus is pointing us to a picture of a person who's engaged in the process of bringing all the beauty and all the blessedness of God upon another. He is talking about what William Barclay described in his commentary. That they are people who produce right relationship in every sphere of life. That basically they are bridge builders bringing reconciliation. Blessed are the bridge builders who bring reconciliation. What a countercultural idea. Like in the midst of this group that Jesus is talking about, there are the zealots that are hanging out right there. These men and women have like trained how to become assassins. Like, they they actually are engaged in the process of wanting to, by violence and by, you know, um, uh, skirmishes with Rome, to drive out Rome. And Jesus is saying, hey, guys, I want you to build a bridge with your Roman oppressors. He's saying to the Jew, I say, hey, go over to Samaria, the people who, you know, worship God a little bit different than you. And then they, you know, focus on this part of scripture and that part of scripture. And you guys are at odds with each other. I want you to go build a bridge with them. Man, those people, like, are you, are you kidding me? Are, are you serious, Jesus? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And in that moment, they found themselves lacking. As people of the kingdom of God, I know that this is not just something shocking for them, but it, it's shocking to us because of the world that we live in and the temptations that we face. As followers of Jesus, we should be about radical and countercultural action, reconciling broken relationships wherever and wherever they exist in our circle of influence. So, today, let's get practical. What, What does this mean? What are we supposed to do? How do we live out practically this idea of being a peacemaker? Well, first of all, I think that we're responsible to share with others how they can have peace with God. But we can't get there if we don't have it ourselves. See, if we bump into somebody, what is within us will overflow. If it, we can't give somebody something we don't have right? You're, you're not able to share or speak or, or, or do and, and fulfill something that you yourself have never experienced, you have never done. It, it's, not, it's not part of you. It's not you. Like, you can't offer to people what you don't. Sometimes we try. Sometimes we try, but we try with borrowed authority, with borrowed, you know, influence, and it's not the same. One of the great truths of the Bible is that through Jesus Christ, we've been given peace with God. Amen. We want to share peace with others because God first made peace available to us. He's made peace with us. And let me show this in your Bibles. Go to Colossians chapter 1. It says this in Colossians chapter 1. Go over New Testament. After Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, keep going. After the book of Acts, you'll keep going. Uh, Paul is writing. Uh, He writes to the Colossians church, and he says this. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Why did God have to make peace by the blood of his cross? Because you and I were in disagreement with him. Mankind has been in opposition to God. Why? Because God is holy and he is just. He is holy and he is righteous. And we, by contrast, are unholy and unrighteous. We are not like God. We, we strive to be like God, but we are not like God. We are missing out on this. So we shake our fist at God, and it goes back all the way to the garden. When man decided that he knew better, enticed by the serpent, and, and went and disobeyed the Lord and now ever since we have been shaking our fists at him and we are saying we're going to do this our way in our time. We know better. We have it right. We got it all figured out and we shake our fists because of our sin and that puts us in rebellion against God in enmity with him. But Jesus the mediator, the one who says, I see this divide, I see this issue, and here I am, Father, send me. Let me help you reconcile them back to yourself. Send me, and he's those steps into. Humanity. He takes all of our sin. He goes ahead, dies on a cross, and then he, on the third day, is raised from the dead, and he ascends to the Father. And so we, if we put our faith in him, we shall be called the children of God. We are reconciled to him and have eternal life. It's a free gift of grace. We've talked about this in the last couple of series. That Jesus Christ, he gave us the opportunity to have peace with God. That's why it says in Romans chapter 5, 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what that means for us today. If you've put your faith in Jesus, there is nothing between you and him. Amen? If you've put your faith in God, there is nothing that separates you from the love of the Father. There is nothing that keeps you in enmity with him. Nothing. You already have peace. You can lay your head on a pillow and you can rest knowing that your eternity is secure and that God is for you passionately. Why? Because when he looks at you, he sees Christ. If, if you're here today and you're, or you're watching online and you have not yet had this opportunity to become a follower of Jesus or to say, Lord, I, I want you to make peace with God available to me. If you have not done that, then you know what? Today you can change that. And I would say today, please change that because otherwise you are at war with God. Otherwise, you are in enmity with him. And there is nothing that you can do in your own power, your own intellect, your own strength to change that. Nothing. All of our works, the Bible tells us, are like filthy rags. There is nothing that we can do that would ever be able to change that reality. We will be forever in division and strife with him. But Jesus in his mercy, God in his wonder and his love, Christ already made a provision through his death, burial, and resurrection. So that if we just turn to him and just confess to him that he is Lord, that he is Savior, and we invite him into our lives, that we can have the very grace and the very peace of God. Guys, this is the gospel. And so before I go any further, just everyone, just close your eyes in this place right now. Just make this a solemn moment, a private moment between you and God. And it's not between me or your neighbor or anybody else. Before I go any further, I'm going to ask you, just bow your head and consider this. Do you have peace with God this morning? Have you realized your sin and turned from your sin? Have you put your faith and your trust in Jesus as the only hope for salvation? If you have not, then you can pray and change that right now. You can put your faith in Jesus at this very moment, and it's faith in repentance that brings us salvation. So go ahead, just pray this out loud. If this is your desire, just say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that only you can make me right with God. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior, and I turn from my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. If you just pray that prayer right now, then according to the Bible, not based on my words, not based on my well intentions and my desire for you, but based on this book, you have been granted peace with God. Can somebody give God a praise? If you believe that, it, that it's as simple as that. Like, you don't have to jump through all these hoops. You don't have to, you know, uh, attain or clean yourself up or fix certain things and get certain things right or learn certain things before you can come into this peace that God offers you. Right now, it is yours. And if that's what you've prayed and you sincerely pray that, then I want you to chase me down after service. I want to talk to you. I want to encourage you. And I want to journey with you because you're beginning a journey here today because you will not be able to live out the words that he's calling you to if you first and foremost do not have peace within your own heart with him. So God calls us to be a peacemaker, that we are bringing peace to other people, that we are showing them how they can come into relationship with the Father. And this is what he talks about in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is what Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, but not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of God. Making, God is making his appeal through us. We are called practically to be a peacemaker by showing other people how they can have peace with God because of the ministry of reconciliation. He's called us to share with every person that we encounter that they can be made right in the sight of God and and drop the weapons, and that there will be no wrath reserved for them if they would just come into this relationship. It is through us. Friends, uh, we are to join in on this journey and on this mission. This is our responsibility. This is our responsibility at work, in our neighborhood, at home, in the marketplace, where we play, where we sleep. It's our mission in our home to to speak the words of God and show people how they can be made at peace with God. See, if we are having more conversations with our neighbors about who they're voting for, then we are having conversations about how they can be at peace with God, then we've got a problem. If we're having more conversations about how AI is going to take over the world and how, you know what, this this transgender agenda is over overtaking the school system and we're having all these conversations and we are missing the conversations of the gospel then church we are not engaged in peacemaking. We are to be peacemakers speaking about the gospel of christ and bringing that before people so that it makes an eternal difference in their lives see yes it's important for us to be able to speak about what is right and what is going on but you know what we have to speak the truth above all truths that there is a world beyond this world that this is not just our lives we are sojourners passing through that it's appointed for men to live once and then there is judgment and what will we experience when we stand before the father on that day, well, we can experience peace if we encountered it here on earth. Amen? The world has allowed us to be, to be you know, desensitized in a way and, and to feel like we have time and we have you know, the ability. But let me just tell you, friends, I was at a memorial yesterday, and I can guarantee you that, that this family was not expecting this brother to, to have passed away. They're believing by faith that God's gonna bring a healing. Um, You know, I I spoke to you guys and mentioned to you at the beginning of the new year that, hey, you know what? We're not guaranteed tomorrow. And maybe at the end of this year, there will be less of us here because God's called us home. And I'm not trying to be prophetic here, but it's just the reality of life. No one knows tomorrow. Nobody is promised tomorrow. Life is but a vapor here today, gone tomorrow. We don't know what lies ahead. If we could leave this very room and this could be the last time we ever gather. I pray that's not the case, but that's the reality of life, that no one knows his time or his hour, but that's why we need to be focused, prepared, attentive. Jesus calls us to not to be distracted and dominated in our thinking, but what's happening in the world. To fill our conversations, you know, busy promoting, defending, pursuing endeavors that although are important, are not eternal, he's calling us to go and press in because if it does not last in eternity, it is not something that we should stake our lives on. What else? Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Practically, I'm responsible to pursue peace with my relationships with others. Hebrews 12, chapter, verse 14 says this. Strive for peace with who? Everyone. Strive for peace with everyone. With all men, some of your Bibles say. It doesn't say strive for peace with those who speak like you. Strive for peace for those who look like you. Strive for peace for those who share the same culture as you or vote the same way as you or those who have the same hobbies as you. Strive for peace with everyone. We're to strive for peace with every single person that comes before us. Our wives, our kids, our, our, you know, our children, our, our, our neighbors, our coworkers, our bosses, uh, the person who is delivering your mail, the person who is living next door and has their stuff encroaching on your lawn and all that good stuff, right? Like we are to live in peace and strive for it with all men. And notice that word, strive, strive it implies this very important thing it's not automatic and it may not always be possible you may try your hardest and your darnest and at the end of the day you still may not have it that's why in another scriptures it says as long as it's up to you as much as it is up to you be in peace with all men because there are times when it is not possible There are times when you just have to say, I got to walk away, because there is no way that we are getting across to each other. It's just not happening. Some people, they wake up and they choose violence, and they don't want anything to do with peace. There are times where you will exhaust your options, you will do everything within your power, and yet you do do not have a peaceful resolution. Friends, nowhere is this more pertinent when he says, strive to have peace peace within all your relationships. Nowhere is it more pertinent than right here in this room. Look around, your brothers and sisters in the faith. Nowhere is it more pertinent than us in the church. We are a diverse body of people with different languages, different cultures, different nationalities, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different educational levels, and different opinions, hello, different voting preferences. We are a diverse people, and nowhere do we need to experience this reality practically than right here. Why? Because the world is watching. The world is watching. We're one family, Although we're diverse, we are united by a commonality, which is our Lord and Savior. He is the head that we fall underneath. He is the one that has the the position of authority over the body that we are made up of. And we fall under that common ground that we are level at the foot of the cross. We're diverse. And that's a beautiful thing because we need diversity. He didn't come to save just one people. He came that all who would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. All, not some. We are diverse. And if we today, what would happen? I just imagine, what would happen if the world actually stopped and they started looking into the church and say, wow, the people who enter that place, who enter a relationship with this God that they proclaim, they come out in unity. Not unified to be one uh, and, and there is no diversity. It doesn't mean uniformity, but it means unity. It means that they get along. That they care for one another, that they serve each other, that they support one another, that they encourage each other, that they don't, you know, tear each other down, that they actually, you know what, say one thing in front of them, and then they say the very same thing behind their backs. It's the very same treatment. There is unity, there is peace, there's camaraderie, there is love, there is hope. Look around, the world is divided. divided. And and you would think that maybe I can have some some hope and some common ground with XYZ person or demographic or group, and then we find an impasse. And it's so often trying to promote what is different in society and what, what sets us apart than what brings us together. And the church, I'm saying we have to be people that could care less about those things that divide us and we need to focus on the things that unite us and we need to press on together. That's why I said when, when I came on board, yes, we are an international church. You may speak Portuguese, Spanish, Haitian, Creole. You may speak French. You, you may be speaking you know uh, Swahili. You might be speaking whatever language you're speaking, But when we come together here, I validate your language. I appreciate your language. But when we gather together, can you please, for the sake of unity, speak English? Because that's the common language that we're all sharing here. Doesn't mean that you can't talk to your fellow compatriot in your own home language and mother tongue. You can do that. But when you enter the threshold of this building, and now there's somebody else who doesn't understand your language, can you be about what unites you as opposed to what divides you? Instead of you just talking about your hobbies, can you uh, include the person next door and say, hey, you know what? We're going to talk. Let me invite you into this conversation and explain what I'm saying instead of just talking about my inside jokes with this person that shares this commonality with me. If we truly embody this, then man, I think we're going to make a difference in this world because they are seeking what is genuine and authentic, what is whole and what is right. The world would perk up And they would come warm themselves by our fire. Practically, I'm responsible to bringing the news of how people can have peace with God. I'm responsible to bring peace within my relationships. But honestly, this goes beyond my relationships. And I am responsible to seek and bring peace between others. If we look in the Bible, the ministry of reconciliation, the implication is, in the words of Jesus, that peacemakers are actively seeking to make the world around them better. They are trying to build bridges in every sphere of society. They're trying to build bridges in every relationship that they might encounter, in every situation, in every crisis, in every circumstance that they might come before. That They're trying to bring the ministry of reconciliation, which is not just limited to our church, not just limited to our tribe, not just limited to our family, not just limited to our jobs, but it's in the very world that we live. When I see brokenness as a citizen of the kingdom, I'm to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And through much prayer, I need to bring reconciliation to the brokenness around me. I'm not saying that we, please don't get me wrong, we need to become you know busybody, nosy camels that are poking our noses in everyone's tent. That we need to, you know, insert ourselves into everyone's problem. That, that's not what I'm saying. But can you pray to God and say, Holy Spirit, I need your help. I need your wisdom because I see an injustice here. Remember, blessed are the right, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Being a person who, you know what, sees sin and unrighteousness in the world around us and we say, you know what, I'm going to be a kingdom builder and I'm going to speak up over this issue. I'm going to come now and I'm going to bring peace into the circumstance. I'm gonna bring the the glory of God, the presence of God, the promises of God into this situation. I'm not going to just be a meddling Karen, and if your name is Karen, I'm sorry, but the internet has made a meme out of your name. It's not talking about you because you're a beautiful, wonderful person, okay? But we're talking about having sensitivity and going and bringing peace into broken situations, Guys, we're not gonna be able to do this if we don't have purity of heart first and foremost. That's why the Beatitudes build on one another. Last week, you're gonna see God if you're pure in heart. This week, if you become a peacemaker, not only will you get to see God, but you get to be a son of God. And that is what I wanna explore last as we wrap this up. That Jesus is calling us to a very practical mission, but he offers us a very real blessing that if we become peacemakers, there is something incredible reserved for us. Look at that, it says, those who are peacemakers shall be called the sons of God. What does that mean? The result of stepping into the fray and putting our hat in the arena and and getting involved in the nitty-gritty, dirty work of bringing peace and reconciling people, nations, companies, Whatever it may be that God has laid before you, when we do this, there is a truly satisfying promise that we are sons of God. Now you might assume at first glance that being a son of God means the same thing as being a child of God. And they're not the same. Being a child is a matter of position. You are positionally within that family. You have a right, As a member positionally of that family, you are the son of your father. You are related to this person. But it's just a positional thing. But when you become a son of God, that goes beyond. And I'm saying son, it means daughter as well for those of you who are ladies. Uh, It is beyond the position. And it's now speaking about character. When we become the sons of God, that means I embrace and I model and I live out and I take up the mantle of my father. I represent my family. I showcase his love, his peace, his righteousness, his truth, his hunger, his desire, his meekness. I am becoming a model citizen of this family. So much so that in the Old Testament, it talks about those who were not sons, considered sons. They were just positionally children of that family. They could be disinherited and they could be sent away. And yet they could take a very servant in that home, a person that was not blood uh, born, uh, that was just a servant and a slave, but yet had the heart for the master and resembled the master and reproduced the character of the master that the master would say, I have adopted you as my very own and you shall become my son. God is calling us to resemble him. And in a day where we are more apt and prone to be offense champions... You know, we, we, you meet somebody and they start complaining about their day or telling you about this, you know, terrible injustice that they've suffered. How often, you know, do, do you see people just jumping on the bandwagon and saying, oh, man. And they start promoting the offense and they start defending the cause of the offense as opposed to defending the cause of peacemaking. And they start saying, oh, man, you are a victim. And they're promoting victimhood as opposed to overcoming They're promoting, oh, you know what? Yeah, you were wronged, and this is broad. Oh, you know what? Oh, actually, I've been offended myself, and I'm not going to worry about this whole peacemaking thing because I have a grievance. You have hurt me. You've said something against me. I've taken offense, and we are falling down this rabbit hole because we open up our lips, we open up our mouths, and instead of sowing a a word of, of, of peace, we're sowing discord. No wonder the Bible has a lot to say about our tongues. And how we are to guard it, because it's like a wildfire. A child of God resembles the father, carries on the reputation of the father, is the same as the father, embraces the culture of the father, while a child may just be related by blood. No wonder Jesus said to them, you guys are not the sons of Abraham, but I'll show you what it means to be a son of God. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand, and I want us to contemplate very simply this morning, as the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, what is he asking you to do? Because in this world around you, I can guarantee you there is strife and there is conflict and there is trouble. There is trouble. My question is, are you actively seeking to reconcile people to God, to each other? Are you reconciling? Are you bringing the lost to His grace? Are you restoring neighbors back on speaking terms? Are you brokering unity within your family and between your neighbors? And between your colleagues, a certain man by the name of Telemachus had embraced the very ascetic lifestyle. And he decided that he was going to go pursue the life of being a monk. He had set out from the east and he went and journeyed to Rome. This is during 400 A.D. Actually four hundred and four AD is when this whole story goes down. He decides to go to Rome as he's pursuing this aesthetic life and ascetic life, and he he arrives there and he comes face to face with something that is going down in the city. There had been a great uh, victory over the Goths, and, and so there was this thing called the gladiatorial games that were being put together. And it was a spectacle, but it was in his eyes an abomination. As he came into that stadium, he realized, you know, these games that are being exhibited, man, I just can't mind my own business. I can't just go on and carry on trying to be this monk and pursuing righteousness and seeking, you know, lowliness and and pursuing hunger for Christ and, and being merciful, you know, whenever they come into my sphere and into my life. No, but he showed up in Rome and he saw this issue that was happening around him. And he couldn't mind his own business. So he goes into the stadium. He wades his way through the crowds. He himself steps down into the arena and he endeavors to stop the fights, to get in the way of the gladiators that are fighting and wielding weapons towards one another with the aim and desire to kill. He jumps in between them. And on one account, it tells us that he raised his arms between the dueling gladiators and Telemachus uh, repeatedly cried out, in the name of Christ, stop. Imagine that. As swords are swinging and spears and maces and all sorts of weaponry of death are, are flying around him, he is screaming out, in the name of Christ, stop. The spectators of the spectacle and the slaughter were so indignant, so infuriated that they, inspired by their bloodlust, stoned that man to death. And one by one, they started leaving that arena. Gladiators stopped, started dropping their swords as the blood of that man just ran down that arena. When the Admiral Emperor Honorius was informed of this, he considered Telemachus and he numbered him as one of the saintly martyrs. One of the victorious martyrs of history. And because of his sacrifice, the emperor put an end to the impious spectacle just a few days later it was 404 AD church one man made a difference and one man said I can't mind my own business Christ is calling us not to mind our business but to mind his kingdom and to promote his name he's inviting you he wants to display through you He's not waiting for Pastor Brian to show up at your job. He's not waiting for your mom or your neighbor or your colleague or that saint that you admire to step into your circumstance and make a difference. He's not waiting for you know somebody else outside of your industry without the knowledge and foresight and know-how that you experience that God has gifted you with to step up and make a difference and speak truth and life into the chaos, division, tension, and violence that is within your world. He's calling you. You can't do it if you don't have peace yourself. So again, I invite you, if you still have not made that decision, you make yourself right and make yourself at peace with God today. But now, as you close your eyes, I want you to just picture somebody, some cause, some situation that you're going to ask God right now Father, birth a burden in me to not mind my own business, but to build a bridge where violence has reigned. Father, I pray that as you speak to every heart, that, Lord God, you would make this word alive inside of every situation, every dynamic, every little detail. I pray, Father, that you would speak to your people and that, Lord, you would bring a mighty change in this world through a church that is united, through a people who have found hope and peace, but have that which they freely received, have it readily available to freely give. Lord, I pray this in your precious and mighty name, amen. Raise your hands with me. I invite you to, to press into this altar if you need prayer for any reason if you want us to come alongside you and and be uh, bridge builders in prayer that you would see God bring resolution and peace into difficult circumstances. We invite you to come and spend time at these altars. Don't worry about what's waiting you outside these doors. It'll wait. But encounter him who is able to give you peace. If you've accepted Lord uh, uh, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the very first time, or you've recommitted your heart to him, come spend some time at this altar. Let me pray with you. As your hands are raised, Father, I pray that you would go with each person. Bless each heart, Lord God, and guide each one as they go into the ministry that you've called them to do. Reconcilers of your peace in Jesus' mighty name. God bless you.